Thanks for downloading a 3CR podcast. 3CR is an independent community radio station based in Melbourne, Australia. We need your financial support to keep going. Go to www.3cr.org.au for more information and to donate online. Now stay tuned for your 3CR podcast. Evil minds that plot destruction. Sorcerer of death's construction. In the fields of bodies burning. Machine keeps turning Death and hatred to mankind Poisoning their brainwashed minds Welcome to the Anarchist World This Week broadcast across Australia on the National Community Radio Satellite. Listen to the Anarchist World This Week, Australia's sacred cow, Slaughterhouse. Listen to analysis of local, national, international events. Listen to analysis you'll never hear anywhere else. Here we are, the Anarchist World This Week, and welcome to our new, not lewd, but new listeners in Tasmania and the Northern Territory. It's also always good to know there are more and more community radio stations which are taking up the anarchist world this week. Maybe it's a sign of things to come. Or maybe they're just bored with their current lineup. Who knows? So if you're a new listener, welcome to the anarchist world this week. My name is Joseph Scarn. I'm hosting today's program. If you wonder what anarchy is all about, an anarchist society is a society without rulers. And the million-dollar question is, how do you create a society without rulers? Well, you have equal power and equal wealth. And how do you ensure that people are able to exercise power equally? Through direct democratic principles, where the people involved in the decision make that decision and elect or appoint delegates to coordinate those decisions at a local regional national level doesn't mean every decision is a national decision a few may be national most will be local and some will be regional and society where wealth is held in common and used for the common good if you believe in corporate capitalism if you're one of those 64 people that owns half the world's wealth or if you're one of those 15 australians that owns i think about 26 percent of australia's wealth well I don't think the anarchist will this week is for you. I suggest you look up one of those ISIS websites. That's more your type of person, I think. Now, what are we going to talk about today? Well, we've got a lot of things to talk about. Whether you listen or not is up to you. If the sun's out in your corner of Australia, maybe you should go out in the sun and enjoy yourself because life is short, very short, before you know it as you're old as I am. Yes, and you think, where has it gone? Well, we'll start off with the consensus the, you like that? I've got my hands in the air with inverted commas, the consensus. Did you know, did you know that there had been a consensus reached in Australia in the 1980s under the Hawke-Keating government? A consensus, you understand a consensus? Obviously, somebody asked you, that's if you were alive then. Some listeners aren't, obviously. But if you are alive then, somebody asked you about this consensus. And the consensus was very, very simple. The consensus was to put corporate interests before public interests. 
And we did that by giving the corporate world free reign. Government took a back seat. It decided, let the marketplace decide. And they thought, what a radical concept, letting the marketplace decide. There's only one problem with that, and we're beginning to understand that now, you know, 30 years down the track. Let the marketplace decide. Let the forces of globalisation, corporatisation, privatisation and deregulation rule the land. And in 20 or 30 years' time, you and I, the people of Australia, the residents and the citizens and even the tourists will be living in the land of Oz, the land of milk and honey, Nirvana land, the new Valhalla. Well, 30 years down the track, it looks like we took a wrong turn, doesn't it? Now, anybody with one synapsing neuron in their cerebral cortex, one synapsing neuron, not billions of synapsing neurons, which we all have, but one synapsing neuron, would understand the history of the 20th century was a history of millions of people sacrificing their lives to ensure that the capitalist monster was tamed. Because the 17th, 18th and 19th century, the heyday of corporate capitalism, was all about creating profits irrespective of the human suffering that caused. It was all about allowing those who had the disposable income at their fingertips to enjoy life and let the rest of the bastards rot. And if you read any of uh, Charles Dickens' books, you can see what 19th century England was like. And that's the type of society all you've got to do is walk into China any day. You can see what's happening. Not Sorry, China as well as India. You can see what's happening. You know, if you allow corporate forces to reign supreme. Because what happens is, although you've got the corporate squatters enjoying themselves and you've got the investment class enjoying themselves, the great bulk of the population in a society that's reached a consensus that privatisation is good for the nation and the people of this country, that corporatisation is good for the nation and the people of this country, that globalisation is is good for the people of the nation and the people of this country, and deregulation is good for the nation and the people of this country, have begun to realise that maybe it isn't. And that so-called consensus, which wasn't created by the Australian people, it was a consensus which was created by the major political parties in this country, both Labor and Liberal and the National Party. It was a consensus which was reached with sections of the trade union movements. It was a consensus which was reached by the corporate class, with the corporate squatters, that this was the way forward. So 30 years down the track, this consensus lies in tatters. The Australian people are beginning to realise that this consensus is not fit for human consumption. It gives you a terminal disease. It ensures that your children and their children will never be able to climb the social escalator because it's been removed. 
pulped, thrown out into the sea. We are beginning to see that using 17th and 18th and 19th century principles to rule a 21st century society has major impacts. For example, in the state I, I live in, the state of Victoria, look at it. Pathetic transport system, both public and private. People are spending three to four hours a day getting to and from work, using all types of transport. And why has that occurred? No planning in the last three decades, because we've let the market decide. Why is it so? My apologies to Professor Sumner Miller, who I assume is dead ages ago. But why is it so? Why is it so in a nation of 24 million people living in a continent that we can't even look after the basic needs of the most exploited sections of the community? I don't use the word disadvantage. That's crap. It's about being exploited. Why is it that every time you look at the homeless figures, they go up? Why is it that every time you look at the figures of the number of people who are unemployed or partially employed, it goes up? Why is it when we look at the figures of the people who are getting richer in the society and exercising more power, that power and wealth continues to be concentrated in fewer and fewer hands? And that's because we have had this consensus forced on us as a nation and a people, a consensus that if you privatise public assets, you'll get cheaper products. What a load of crap. Telstra privatised, the airports privatised, Qantas privatised, the Commonwealth Bank privatised, the list goes on and on. What do you get? When you remove a successful publicly owned company, you can no longer rely on that company to provide resources that can be used to look after the needs of the healthcare needs, the education needs of ordinary Australians. You privatise a company, all you do is get a windfall profit for a short period of time, which is basically lost in a year or two. You lose the capacity to continue to put money in the national coffers. When you privatise a publicly run utility, you decrease competition. Not increase it, as we're told. You decrease competition. Having one player in a particular field of human endeavour, whether it's telecommunications, whether it's the airports, whether it's a plane, whether it's a bank, having one player which is in the hands of the public, one player means that you have more competition because it puts a break. It puts on break on the costs, it puts a break on the profits which can be made by privately owned organisations. So privatisation has been a complete disaster. Privatisation of uh, you know unemployment services. What have we got? We've got all these little companies and big companies offering services, getting a government handout. Privatisation of welfare benefits. What have we seen? The growth and growth of the religiously based and the non-profit industry who basically relies on government handouts to provide services which governments should be provide and who are you know, forced to sign confidentiality agreements so they don't complain about the state 
of the people they are looking after. That's why you never hear any complaints, you know, from these organisations, especially those that are based solely in this country. Then you've got deregulation. We talk about regulation inhibiting competition. Well, regulation was introduced to protect people, protect people's assets. Look at all these all these scams that have been perpetrated, not by your normal scammer, you know, on the net or on the end of a phone, but scams which have been perpetrated by large, respected, in inverted commas, financial institutions in this country. You have regulation to ensure they can't involve themselves in these scams legally. You have regulations to protect workers' rights at work. You have regulations to ensure people don't get injured. If you don't want regulations, go back to the dark days of the Industrial Revolutions when four-year-olds were used in the mines in England. Four-year-olds. So deregulation, a total disaster. It hasn't increased competition. All it's done, it's allowed those who exercise power to actually increase the power they're actually able to exercise over us. Then you've got the the free trade agreement crap, you know, the globalisation crap. You know, we need to work on a level playing field. We need to be able to compete with people who have been paid $1 a day or $0.60 cents a day in Haiti or Bangladesh. We need to be able to compete with them. What a load of garbage. What a total load of garbage. Globalisation is about allowing transnational corporations whose major responsibility is to create ever-increasing profits for their major shareholders to give them the green light to do whatever they like in this country. We now have the ridiculous situation and a pestilence on you, Mr Andrew Robb, you know, in your retirement, you know, the fact that he was instrumental in getting all these free trade agreements, Japan and Korea and the United States. I mean, what these free trade agreements are all about, they're all about allowing corporations to dominate everyday affairs. It's such an extraordinary agreement that we abrogate our sovereign rights. Our government has abrogated its sovereign rights. I mean, there's all this talk about protecting the borders, an Australian border force, all these talk about that, but we've now abrogated our sovereign rights to protect our citizens' welfare. Because once you've signed a free trade agreement, if a government passes legislation which somehow impinges on the profits of that organised, that corporation, we now have to pay them compensation. And then comes corporatisation, the enemy of small business. Now, I know most small business in this country, and there are five million people employed in small business, think the enemy is the trade union, think the enemy is their workforce. But the real enemy of small businesses in the country is corporatisations, large corporations who dominate the marketplace and through their domination are actually able to maintain a stranglehold on that marketplace and manipulate that marketplace to suit their ends. No wonder 90% of small businesses fail within five years of opening. You're listening to the Anarchist World this week, broadcast across Australia on the Community Radio Network. 
All right, let's move on. Now, I don't know if you know about Moomba, but I think there was a little bit of a a fray. That's the word, a fray, in uh, I think it was Swanson Street a few days ago in Melbourne, and it's as if it was the end of the earth. But a bit sad. It was very sad, and I'll tell you why. Because it highlighted two things. One, it highlighted the fact that uh, people who are exploited somehow continue to think that somebody of a different colour, a different racial origin, you know, a different language speaker, uh, a different religion, different gender, different gender, are the enemy. We've still got this crap where people think that because somebody is different, they are the enemy and we need to bash them up. How pathetic. I mean, the enemy that we all should be worried about is corporate capitalism. That's the real enemy in this country. That part of society which doesn't pull its weight, the 24-carat gold leaners, they're the real enemies. They're the ones we should be turning our attention to. We sure. It sounds like it's Christmas. I didn't know it was Christmas. Did you know it was Christmas? I didn't know it was Christmas. But uh, they're the people we should be turning our attention to. That's the dilemma. But the trouble is many, many people, many, many people think the real enemy is the person whose skin colour is different, the person who's come here as a refugee. And there's all these political parties which have been formed, you know, who proudly proclaim, you know, we are the ones. But the dilemma is we all find ourselves in the same boat. There are two types of people in Australia, two types. There's only two types. There's those in in the boat who live upstairs, and that's the investment class and the corporate squatters, and they enjoy the view, get room service, get the best meals they like. And there's those, and there's the 85% of Australians down the bottom deck of the boat who are pulling the oars of the good ship Australia. And they're the ones who get blisters on their hands and get sunstroke while those upstairs enjoy themselves, and it's all legal. So we now have a ridiculous situation where the corporate sector pays no tax or minimal taxation in this country legally, and we continue to worship at their shrine. Just an extraordinary situation. So let's get it right. It really pains me when I see people who are exploited fighting amongst themselves. There is bigger fish to fry. There is a bigger enemy. And that enemy is that small section of society that owns the means of production, distribution, exchange and communication, which creates that false consensus that we need to deregulate, privatise, corporatise and globalise, that creates through its manipulation of the media the false consensus that the only way out of the, only way out of the situation we find ourselves in is corporate capitalism. And the sooner people realise that this is the issue, that the issue isn't somebody's skin colour or nationality or race or gender or sexual orientation, that we will be in a position to turn the good ship astray and ensure that everybody, everybody enjoys the views on the upper deck and everybody pulls the oars of the boat of the good ship astray. Okay, let's move on. Let's move on, because we like to be positive. Now, some positive news. Now, first of all, I'd like to thank all those members of the West Papuan Independence 
Federal Republic of West Papua office. We're having a second birthday party. And the second birthday party will be held at 1pm on Sunday the 3rd of April. That's 1pm on Sunday the 3rd of April, which isn't very far away, at Suite 211, 838 Collins Street, Docklands. There'll be lots of food provided, but we do encourage if you are coming to bring some food and drinks for the collective table. Now, there's two guest speakers at the party. Uh, There's a Robert Stringer, a Uniting Church minister and social activist, reporting on his recent six-week trip to West Papua, and Dr Jacob Rumbiak, the Federal Republic of West Papua Minister of Foreign Affairs, will be reporting on the 2016 agenda for the West Papua Independence Movement and the role the the office plays in that uh, movement. So you're all welcome. You don't have to be a member of the REN Collective. If you are a member, be nice to see you. Bring your family and friends. If you're not a member, you want to see what's going on, you're more than welcome. Great afternoon. You'll have a good time. Interesting speakers, but we have a problem. It's always a problem when you have a voluntary collective, isn't there? People die, they move on, they get other interests. We have 10... Now, we'll be signing, the Federal Republic West Papa Office will be signing a new 12-month lease with a 12-month option in April. We urgently require 10 new members for the rent collectives. That's right. We urgently require 10 new members for the rent collective. For only a dollar a day, you can keep open the only Federal Republic of West Papua office in the world. That's right, in the world, in good old Melbourne, and you're part of it. The office in Melbourne has played a pivotal role in furthering the aims of the West Papuan independence movement. So if you want to join the Rent Collective, it's very simple. You can deposit $30 a month, or the total amount for the year, $360, into the, into the account. And it's a Commonwealth Bank account. You can go into the bank, pay by cash and do it anonymously. You can pay by cheque or you can use your internet banking facilities if you're that way inclined. So if you want to join the West Papua Rent Collective and there is no better way to piss off the government and the opposition and the Indonesian government as well as the Australian government and opposition than joining the West Papua Rent Collective because by ensuring the West Papua movement has an office in Australia, it ensures that that dream of independence for West Papua continues to be a reality and that dream can become a reality and you are part of that and I'll give you I'll give you you say to me I can't afford it on a, on a pension I can't afford it I've got a family well think again a dollar a day you can make the savings two pizzas a month give up two pizzas a month that's a dollar a day Give up eight coffees. That's two coffees a week. Instead of having your quarter-strength soy latte, decaf soy latte, you know, <laughs> poisoning yourself to death, why don't you uh, join the Rent pa- West Papua and Rent Collective? As I said before, it's very easy. You can ring me on 0439 395 489 for the details. I'll send you out the necessary material. That's it. End of story. Just put in your money and... Three events a year to show you how the office is working and obviously you can visit the office anytime. 
It is staffed by West Papuan activists from Monday to Friday, 9.30am to 5pm, and obviously sometimes they're there on weekends doing stuff. So if you want to go in, you're in the city of Melbourne, you've come in from interstate, you come in for the Grand Prix, the football, the tennis, shopping, you name it, we've got it. Corporate capitalist centre of the universe, Melbourne town, the theatre, a concert. Why don't you drop in to the West Papuan office? You can drop in or you can give them a ring first. Tell them you're coming down. They'll make you a cup of tea or coffee. The number is 039 Or you can go to the website, D-F-A-I-T, DFAT, just like the Commonwealth Government, DFAT, D-F-A-I-T, Federal Republic of West Papua.org. DFAT, Federal Republic of West Papua.org. Sometimes you can do a lot with a little. And this is a classical example of what 50 to 60 people paying $30 a, a month can do in order to further the ambitions and dreams and hopes and aspirations of almost 2 million people who have lived in the most shockingly and appalling circumstances since 1961 when uh, Indonesia took over West Papua. Uh, This is a real independence movement. This is a strong independence movement. It works both inside and outside of West Papua. People are dying on a daily basis. Over 500,000 people have died in West Papua as a direct result of the independence struggle since 1961. Uh, West Papuans have becoming strangers in their own land. So this is a great way of joining us. Try before you buy. You want to see the office? Just turn up. If you can't turn up, come and join us for the Federal Republic of West Papua office second birthday party, 1pm on Sunday the 3rd of April at Suite 211, 838 Collins Street, Docklands in Melbourne, 838 Collins Street, Docklands in Melbourne. So wherever you are in this great land, and I mean in size... Not in political view, not in political vision. You can uh, drop in, be part of this uh, strong collective. It's now been functioning for two years. This is the third year uh, that uh, we've been going on. So, uh, great day, great afternoon. We'll see you there on the day. You listen to the Anarchist World this week, broadcast across Australia on the Community Radio Network. Now, a lot of people have been asking me, what's happening with the Australian Greens? What's happening? Well, obviously, there has been a shift in uh, strategy since the election of the new leadership. Uh, when Chris Mill resigned, Dr Richard Di Natale, Senator Richard Di Natale, was elected as leader of the Australian Greens. And since then, there's been a shift in their policies. The thing is, we don't just need to look at it in terms of the interaction they're having with the Liberal National Party and the fact that they're going to pass legislation in the next few days which will ensure that if you can't get, say, 7, 8, 9, 10% of the... If you can't get about 10% of the first preference vote in the Senate that you've got no chance of ever being elected as a minor party and that these changes will basically give the Senate on a plate 
to the Liberal National Party. But we've got to understand that what we are seeing is a major change in the Australian Greens political platform. And a lot of people don't understand what's actually happening. Because what's happening is they're modifying many of their views in order to attract more moderate members of the community into the party because obviously they're sick of being on the margins and they actually want to be part of government in terms of some type of coalition, whether it's the ALP or the uh, Liberal National Party, you know, is a matter which will depend on the numbers. So why this shift? And I think this shift is directly related to the fact that more and more Australians are beginning to understand that climate change is a real issue. It's becoming a barbecue stopper. Not those little people with their esoteric figures telling us that, you know, it's just part of the natural, you know, cycle of life. But the fact that on a daily basis we are seeing some of the major scientists in this country and scientific bodies telling us that things are changing. And those who travel know things are changing. And if you live in parts of Australia, you know things are changing. I mean, I migrated or fled from Queensland in 1976 during the Bielke-Peterson era to Victoria, and it's taken 40 years for the climate to follow me, but we are now getting periods in Victoria where we're getting Queensland summers. And everybody is seeing that in terms of rainfall, in terms of heat, in terms of the people who become sick when you have heat waves, in terms of increasing bushfire events, in terms of uh, more uh, violent storms, and the list goes on and on. And what's happening is... Finally, in Australia, there is that funny word again, a consensus that climate change is real. Whether we need to do anything about it is a different matter, but people are beginning to understand that it's real and they're beginning to look at the reasons. Now, as we transfer as we transfer from a fossil fuel-based economy, whether it's coal or oil, that's fossil fuel, Basically, coal and oil are, you know, hundreds of billions of trillions of dead organisms which have coagulated to produce these products. And these products burn and basically, you know, turn over the modern 21st century industrial technological complex. As we make the decision, screaming and kicking, that things need to change, that we need to turn from a fossil fossil fuel-based economy into a water, wind and sun-based economy, the attraction of the Australian Greens increases. Now, with the election of Malcolm Turnbull as Prime Minister of this country, something happened to the Liberal Party. And what happened is that the socially progressive voices in the Liberal Party, yes, it does have socially progressive voices, not on neoliberalism, but on issues like gender equality, uh, marriage equality, and the list goes on and on. As they took the ascendancy, the socially progressive policies, they mirror to a significant degree many of the socially progressive policies that the Australian Greens follow. So you've got the fact that the reactionary and conservative elements have currently, not permanently, but currently been sidelined. So there is an attraction between the Australian Greens and the Liberal Party. 
before the attraction may have been between the Australian Labor Party and the Greens. Now, the Greens have made a decision, or the leadership of the Australian Greens has made a decision to ditch its radical members and ditch its radical agenda and follow a more moderate agenda which is based on the concept of green capitalism. Now, people scoffed at the idea of green capitalism a few years ago, but green capitalism is beginning to be an important, play an important role in this society. So if you've got a Liberal National Party which supports green capitalism, you've got a Green Party which is all about green capitalism, and you've got an Australian Labor Party which supports green capitalism, and the three parties of socially progressive policies... What it means is the Greens then are in a position where they can pick and choose in terms of what political party they're going to support during the next federal election. So the emergence of green capitalism as a so-called solution to climate change, a solution which is you know uh, which is attractive to many green voters because most many green voters, some are obviously marginalised and and exploited, but many green voters have a good education, good jobs, have a good income, live a good lifestyle in uh, CBDs, especially in Melbourne and, uh, and Sydney. So we've seen this change in shift of the green, the Australian Greens in their political and social policies, and their so what we are seeing is the Australian Greens trying to position themselves in a way that makes them the primary opposition in this country and sideline the Australian Labor Party. In such a situation, the Australian Labor Party is now being forced to move in a more radical direction. And that's why we have them putting out policies regarding the abolition of negative gearing for old homes, putting out policies regarding changes to superannuation, putting out other policies in this direction, economic policies. So what we now have is three major capitalist parties in the Australian Parliament. The Australian Greens, which have put its uh, hat on the uh, green capitalism hat rack, We've got the Liberal National Party, which has always been apologists for the corporate sector, and we've got the brand new Hawke Keating Labor Party, which is was the was the driver, you know, the engine room of the corporatisation, deregulation, uh, privatisation, globalisation revolution. So that leaves an opening for a new political force in this country, which is basically anti-capitalist for public interests for putting public interests before corporate interests and public interest bef- public interest before corporate interests was formed about 11 months ago about 10 and a half months ago we currently have over 650 members and we're, and we're in the paper work war in, to become registered as a federal political party so there is now a change. There is a change in the world, especially in the Western world and to some degree in other parts of the world. There is a change that people no longer have any trust in the traditional political structures, whether it's people who are voting for Trump on the Republican side or Bernie Sanders or the new, you know, the new Labor Party in England or the radical movements which have come out of nowhere in Greece and Portugal and Spain and Italy, 
you know, in the last uh, few years, what we are seeing is a shift in political alignment. But in this country, we haven't seen that shift because most people have believed that the Australian Greens were those that provided the engine room for that shift. Well, what the Australian Greens have done, as I said before, is they've embraced green capitalism and have moved more to the centre. As the ALP and the Liberal National Party adopt more and more socially progressive policies and a pro-capitalist stance, we find the Australian Greens are moving in in the same direction. So public interest before corporate interest has been formed in order to attract people who don't believe in a Marxist uh, agenda, who believe that Marxism is basically dead and buried, who don't believe in a capitalist agenda, who believe capitalism is unfit for human consumption, whether it's green or grey or black, you know, you know, whether it's black cold or green capitalism is unfit for human consumption, who believe that public interests should be put before corporate interests, this is a group that will, in the next few years, begin to have a more significant impact on the country. And we encourage you to become a member, unapologetically encourage you to become a member. If you want to learn more about public interests before corporate interests, you can give me a ring on 0439 395 489. You can write to us at Post Office Box 20, Parkville 3052. Yes, we do know that a lot of people haven't embraced the internet age and uh, don't have an internet site. And we, or the, you can look at our Facebook page, Public Interest Before Corporate Interest, or you can uh, email us at pip, info at pipsy.net, or you can actually go to the website and download the application form. Go to pipsy, P-I-B-C-I dot net. Public interest before corporate interest. P I B C I dot net. Download the application form. Have a look at it. If it's the organisation for you, well, you know, join us. If it isn't, form your own organisation. Because what people need to do is they need to become active. They need to become active in the political process. Pipsy is not an organisation that is based on the concept that we cast a ballot every three to four months, every three to four years, and that's the end of our responsibility as a citizen. Pipsy is an organisation which believes in non-violent direct action, which uses community boycotts, which uses electoral politics, which is not bound by ideological certainties and is not bound by the past, because that's the problem. You know, most political organisations and social organisations have a cross to bear. They have an ideological cross to bear or historical precedent cross to bear. Oh, we've always done it that way. This is a brand new broom. It's a brand new member of the establishment. It will grow. It continues to grow and will have become to have a real impact on this society because what we are talking about are the issues that are the barbecue stoppers. Why is it that although we have a Medicare system that people are paying more and more to access health care? Why is it there never seems to be enough public hospital beds? Why is it that you have to wait for ages for an outpatient's appointment in a public hospital? Why is it your grandmother's been waiting for three years for a hip replacement? Why is it that hospitals are understaffed and under-resourced public hospitals in this country? 
and then you move to the education sector. Why is it the public education, the education system that looks after the needs of those children whose parents don't have the disposable income to buy them a private education are asked to do with second best as far as teachers are concerned, as far as uh, resources are concerned. I'm not talking about the quality of the teachers that are there now. I'm talking about the fact there aren't enough teachers. Why is it that private schools continue to get billions of dollars in funding, especially the rich private schools? Why is it there is no public infrastructure worth talking about, especially in the larger cities and especially in regional centres, that it's becoming more and more difficult to get around? And the list goes on and on and on and on. So if you are interested in these issues, public interest before corporate interest is an organisation you should look at. Look at it seriously. It will be a major player. We will be conducting some activities during the next federal election. We may not be registered as a political party by then because the hurdles you've got to jump are quite enormous and there's plenty of them and it takes seven, eight, nine months sometimes just to get registered once you've got enough members and all the details. So we hope to have a, be applying for registration hopefully by the end of May, early June, but uh, there's a July election or August, September. We won't be registered as a political party, but we will be involved in that political process. But already we are involved in a number of issues around this country because what we are talking about is not just some wild-eyed you know, view held by a, f- a handful of crazies. These are simple, basic questions, and it's very simple. If 70% of taxation revenue comes from pay as you earn taxpayers and small business and corporate Australia pays minimal taxation, minimal taxation legally and one third of this country's largest corporations paid no tax over the last 12 months legally, although they made extraordinary profits and don't forget that Mr Murdoch received an $890 million tax refund in 2013, courtesy of the uh, courtesy of the Australian Tax Office, which doesn't have the legislative arms to actually deal with corporate fraud, corporate uh, tax minimisation, because there's no legislation. I mean, if you diddle with your taxes, I can assure you that sooner or later you will be caught out and you will be paying the price and you will be bankrupted. Because you're a small player, legislation is in place to ensure that small business and pay-as-you-earn taxpayers pay their taxes. But there is no legislation to ensure that corporate Australia pays its taxes. And that's the dilemma. Because what they are doing is totally legal. And that's why on this program we've called for the introduction of a number of new corporate-based taxes. For example a 1% stock market turnover tax. It would raise at least $15 billion a year. One miserable percent turnover tax. You know, you spend a million dollars on buying shares or selling shares, you pay $10,000 tax. It's nothing, nothing. Or a 1% 
turnover tax on corporations which turn over more than, say, $10 million a year, which would exclude most small businesses. So for every... And that way, it means it doesn't matter how fancy your little your little accountants are and tax minimisation lawyers are, 1% turnover. So if Google turns over $10 billion, you pay 1% in tax. These days, we've got these large corporations laying, paying, in some cases, less tax than a pay-as-you-earn taxpayer. We had the ridiculous situation of Chevron, one of the largest um, mineral resources corporations in this country, paying $248 or $252 in tax last year legally. And that's the dilemma. If you don't have the richest section of the community paying their fair share of tax, how can you fund public education, public health, public infrastructure, public arts, and the list goes on and on? How can you fund that? You can't. How can you fund the new National Disability Insurance Scheme to look after the needs of people who are permanently disabled in this country? You can't. And that's why we need a major shift in this country, which you will not see during this election campaign. You will not see it. You may see superannuation requirements changed. I doubt you'll see any personal tax cuts. But you are not going to see, you will see legislation introduced to uh, cut the legs off the investment class, you know, things like negative gearing and capital gains, but you will not see, you will not see major legislation go through Parliament which will ensure the corporate sector pays its fair share of tax. And that's why we need an organisation, a political party, a social movement like public interests before corporate interests to ensure that this happens on a daily basis. It is part of the bread and butter of this society. It is to the Anarchist World this week, broadcast across Australia on the Community Radio Network. This program is streaming live on 3CR .org.au. My name is Joseph Oscar. I'm hosting today's program. You can uh, write to me at Post Office Box 20, Parkville 3052. Post Office Box 20, Parkville 3052. You can email me at anarchistage at yahoo.com. Anarchistage at yahoo.com. You can uh, leave messages on 0439 395 489. 0439 395 489. You can go to the Wibsy Pipsy website and download the application form uh, pipsy.net p-i-b-c-i you can email us at info at pipsy.net you can go on the facebook page public interest before corporate interests you can write to us at post office box 20 parkville 3052 don't forget interested in the west Papua independence movement join the red collective ensure they have an office in docklands in the melbourne cbd to to um, promote the issue of West Papua independence. It is a fundamental issue you know, as far as social justice is concerned. I mean, let's not forget, West Papua is less than 200 kilometres from us. And we, you know, we know about the atrocities in Syria. We know about the atrocities in Iraq. We know about the atrocities you know, in various parts of the universe. But when it comes to atrocities less than 200 kilometres from our borders from the borders of this country, nobody knows about it because nobody in this country, no major political party, is willing to say boo 
to the Indonesian government as far as the issue of West Papua is concerned. So by becoming a member of the REN Collective, you make a real practical difference and you make it today. So join the West Papua and REN Collective. As I said before, we need 10 new members to keep it going. People die, people retire, people move on. So we've got 10 vacancies. You like that? Make an application to become a member of the West Papua and Rent Collective. Give us a call on 0439 395 489. Institute of Public Affairs. What a misnomer. What a misnomer. Now, those of you who know nothing about the Institute of Public Affairs, it was uh, formed many, many years ago. I think they had their 60th anniversary celebrations last year by Mr Murdoch Sr. And the whole purpose of the Institute of Public Affairs, a very secretive organisation who refuses to let the public know who bankrolls it, the Institute of Public Affairs has now become the intellect of the Liberal Party and the intellect of the Australian Broadcasting Corporation. That's right, your ABC, your eight cents a day being used to allow the Spruikers from the Institution of Public Affairs spruik their neoliberal garbage as a solution to this country's problem. Now, the Institute of Public Affairs is very interesting because they've had two major, two major wins in the last uh, decade. One is they have forced, forced their way into the Australian Broadcasting Corporation. The Howard-led government did all it could and the Abbott government has done all they can to ensure that the... Institute of Public Affairs is entrenched in the Australian Broadcasting Corporation and you find their heads popping up with monotonous regularity as guest speakers, guests on television, telling us what a wonderful world we have. Apologies to Louis Armstrong. I mean, every day, every day. And what this is about is about changing political culture. At the same time, they have devoted years to infiltrating the Liberal Party and bringing their neoliberal agenda to fruition in the Liberal Party. And you would be amazed how many members of the Liberal Party are members of the Institute of Public Affairs. In Victoria, it's almost a disease. It's a rash. It's a rash on the body politic. Almost over 50% of Federal members of the Liberal Party are now were members of the Institute of Public Affairs and continue to be members of the Institute of Public Affairs, which is an ideologically driven organisation. It's as ideologically driven as the Socialist Party or the Communist Party or the Australian Labor Party, more so than the Australian Labor Party, obviously. It is an ideologically driven organisation whose major activity is to ensure that they're corporate masters and they're the ones who call the tune because they pay the Institute of Public Affairs spruikers to spruik their neoliberal garbage to ensure that they continue to exist and flourish and continue to colonise the Australian Broadcasting Corporation and the Liberal Party as their own thing. So as I said before, keep your ears and eyes open because what we've seen over the last 30 to 40 years in this country is a cultural shift. We've seen the formation of the investment class, those 15% of Australians who are actually able to avail themselves of the disposable income to uh, use 
legally tax minimisation schemes to increase their wealth. We have seen the domination of the political process by unaccountable corporations whose major responsibility is to their major shareholders to continue to increase corporate profits irrespective of the human, social, environmental and more importantly national costs in this country and we see it on a daily basis. That's why they don't pay tax. That's why they determine who will lead us. That's why you never hear an alternative viewpoint, an anti-capitalist viewpoint on the Australian Broadcasting Corporation and especially you would never hear that on the corporate-owned media and that's why community radio is so important in this country because it allows people like us to you know, promote ideas that don't fit the national consensus which was created for us. And our ideas are very simple. The Commonwealth should be used for the common good and that everybody should be involved in the decision-making processes, not motherhood statements. Basic statements that are required to create a society where every individual in that community has the potential to develop themselves to their fullest potential, irrespective of who they are, irrespective of their gender, irrespective of their sexual orientation, irrespective of their nationality, irrespective of the colour of their skin, irrespective of of the language they speak. That's what this struggle is all about. So we welcome you to the Anarchist World this week. We welcome our new listeners in Tasmania and the Northern Territory. I think we now broadcast in every state in this country. So thank you once again for listening to the Anarchist World this week on your local community radio station. You can ring us on 0439 395 489. You can write to us, and I'm amazed at how many letters are stuffed into the post office box. I've got to go inside and collect them. Gives me a headache. Hours of answering. You can write to us at post office box 20, Parkville 3052. And if you can send us some dollar stamps, please do so. We need dollar stamps. We need at least a 1,000 in the next week. Send us dollar stamps. We've got a lot of correspondence to catch up on. We've got hundreds of members of the public interest before corporate interest we need to correspond with who are not on the uh, net. So dollar stamps, you want to help us out? Send us dollar stamps, put them in an envelope, post them to Post Office Box 20 Parkville 3052. Post Office Box 20 Parkville 3052. Go to the website, anarchistmedia.org. Email us at anarchistage at yahoo.com. And remember, keep a smile on your state while you're creating that new society that's in your heart. That's what it's all about. Keep a smile on your state, on your, not your state, on your face. And uh, keep struggling, keep working. Because remember, if you dare to struggle, you've got a chance of winning. If you do nothing, you'll never win anything. Thanks you once again for listening to the Anarchist World this week on your local community radio station. This program is podcast. You can access the podcast by going to 3cr.org.au. Thank you once again to the Community Radio Network for broadcasting the Anarchist World this week. Minds that plot destruction Sorcerer of death's construction An analysis you'll never hear anywhere else. Anarchist World This Week, Australia's Sacred Cow Slaughterhouse. 10am every Wednesday. Listen to the Anarchist World This Week for an up-to-date analysis of local, national and international events. 
wash my hands. Oh, Lord, yeah. <laughs> 